Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study of the New Testament. My notes tell me this is part 190, so that's pretty good. Uh, and we're, we're pressing in. Um, we still have some left, uh, we, uh, but we're working through 1 Timothy now. I think there's three more chapters after this one, and then 2 Timothy and Titus and Hebrews and, and uh, James and 1 Peter and 2 Peter and the three Johns in Revelation, and then we're done with the New Testament. So um, we're still probably a year and a half out, um, but uh, we're, we're plugging right along. The importance of studying the, the Scripture in context is why we're doing it week after week like this, because uh, hopefully, if, as you've been coming, and, and uh, uh, that you, you start to see that there's a reason um, for these letters being written that Paul writes, we're in the letters of Paul right now because we, we first we did the Gospels and then we did the book of Acts. Coming out of the book of Acts where we studied the missionary journeys of Paul, we started to go through the letters that he wrote back to the churches. And that most of the letters were written back to the churches in order to deal with situations that were happening at those churches at that point in time. And, and so that was the context in which they were written, which is very important. Um, and, and it still applies to today. It's the living word of God. It's still applicable. But the context of the letters makes a difference on how we apply them to today. You have to think about um, and be aware of why they were being written in order to really understand what Paul was trying to communicate in the process. And if without some sort of understanding of how they fit and how they're working together, we, it's very possible and happens all the time that they get taken out of context. And then um, we're trying, we're kind of getting the Bible to say something it's not really saying. So that's why it's important to study uh, in context the things that are taking place and, and then um, use that to help us understand um, what's going on so that we can better understand the scripture. And that's why we're here week after week after week. We want to have a, a working knowledge of what the Bible says because that's really important as believers. We'll even talk about that in our study today. Now, um, by the time we get to these, these letters, um, these two letters to Timothy and the letter to Titus, Paul is, um, in these three letters, basically talking about the importance of uh, teaching the church the, the fundamentals. And that, um, that as he, he includes these things, it's not just about passing on knowledge, it's about passing on um, the way of, of life for believers. And so both of those things are taking place in these letters um, that are being written. Uh, Timothy, at this point in time, is overseeing the church in Ephesus. Um, and so Paul is writing to Timothy on how to deal with that church. And we know that church had some issues, um, but there was a lot of good things as well in that church. But he's, he's sort of making sure that, that uh, everything is going well there. And, and so he's giving uh, Timothy in these two letters and, and to Titus in the next one um, ideas about how to take after the church that was in this area. And uh, so, so that's what's going on. Take care of the church that was in the area. So that's what we've been looking at as we've looked at this stuff together. Now as we move into chapter 3, Paul's going to lay down the, the standards um, that leaders in the church are to live by. So... Uh, Remember, when Paul would, would go into an area um, where there was no church and start a church, sometimes he would be there for um, six months to a year, 
longest place was in Ephesus itself, three years. Um, but a lot of times he was only there for six weeks, eight weeks, you know, four weeks before he got ran out of town. He'd get a church started. And, um, and, and so they would, he would teach the best that he could and, and leave it in the best shape that he could before he left. But um, then a lot of times, you know, uh, he was gone before he could get anybody back and the church would sort of have to feel its way out. And then as soon as Paul could, either he would go back or he'd send somebody back to try and sort of um, organize what was taking place and to figure out who, who God had, was raising up to be the leaders of the church and what that looked like and where there was not enough, you know, to try and get people in there that he could do that. And, and so this was all part of the ongoing process of the early church. And so in this letter, as, as Timothy's there now uh, in Ephesus, and it, it, it's probably not his calling forever, Paul's saying, look, you, you need to be working with and raising up leaders in the church, and this is what leaders in the church, these are sort of the standards they need to be living by um, as you move into the process. And, and he, gives them, so he gives them ideas, and then he cautions them on some things. And, and so uh, in essence, the leaders of the church should have great respect for the truth uh, for, for the truth that's reflected um, in their beliefs and, and, um, and, and how they live. Um, that that they, they, in effect, need to be people of integrity. And I've always, uh, I, I believe a, a good working definition of integrity is that um, your life matches your words. Um, what you say you believe and how you live are, are as matched up as possible. Um, none of us is perfect in that, but that's what it means to have integrity. And, and so, uh, as we look at these qualifications, really, um, all believers should sort of uh, attempt to, to live at, um, at, at these ideals because they're consistent with the way that God says we're to live uh, in this world anyway. So it's a, it's a fairly good standard. It's not just, okay, well, that's what leaders need to live like and, and everybody else can do whatever they want. It's, a, it's what we should all be shooting at because he's, he's in effect, um, talking about lives of integrity in the church. So, uh, short chapter, 16 verses. We, we should have a fairly quick study, unless I go off a lot of bunny trails. And, uh, and so, that which happens sometimes. But let's see where it goes tonight. I have no idea when I start. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, 16 verses, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can follow along with the Bibles in the pews or on the sheets that we passed out. Or if you have your own Bibles, that's great. And whatever translation is good. Uh, here we go. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the oversire, oversire, <laughs> well, sometimes we're oversires, yes. <sighs> now the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, 
and must manage his children and household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So pretty much the first 15 verses talk about um, qualifications for leadership, but as I said, really um, uh, an ideal that we should all be shooting at as believers on how we're to live in this world and what that looks like. Remember, I've I've said to you, it's very important that um, when the world looks in at us, that its first impression isn't that we're a bunch of hypocrites. Um, That's been the impression of the world for the church for a long time and and probably fairly well-deserved by the church for the way it's acted over time. But it's incumbent on us to love well enough um, that, and instead of being critical finger pointers, um, we admit, uh, this is what we've been talking about, that we're, we're broken ourselves uh, in desperate need of a Savior just like everybody else. And that a, a, as we relate to people that aren't yet, aren't yet believers, that we don't come across as, um, you know, critical, judgmental, mean people but um, as loving people on, on a quest for the truth and, and finding that truth in Jesus, loving the best that we can and hoping to encourage others to um, come to know him as well. So uh, th- this is, you know, th- the way that we're, we're to try and live, um, which is what we talk about all the time. But he goes on and, and then he says, you know, in, verse in the beginning there that, that being a, a church leader, being a leader in the church should never be taken lightly. Because the church belongs to the living God. The church is His church. Um, we have to first and foremost always remember that. The, the, the church is His. It's, this is God's church. Um, the, the whole church is God's church. The, 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 the church everywhere that gathers and worships Him is God's church and He loves His church. So um, hopefully from, from here you always hear that we, we love the whole church as well. Uh, even where we might not agree on everything, if we agree on the basics, then, then we're, we're good to go, and that we, we love his church. That's what we're supposed to do, because he loves his church. And, and so, um, uh, you know, we're, we're to remember that and never take the church for granted or take the church lightly or, or um, see the church as anything else than his. This is his, and he does with it as he will. And he uses the church for his glory, uh, and and so um, he, and he uses it to because he loves his kids. And the church is Paul said, you know, the pillar of, and foundation of the truth. So we have a place to connect and gather um, to stay strong, so that we can go and do the mission that we're called to, which is to love the world well enough to bring them in, so they can know Jesus as well. So it's his church. The world elder, the word elder that's there can mean pastor, church leader, or overseer. And so that's, in effect, what he's talking about there in the beginning. Um, the verse is interesting. The husband of but one wife um, uh, means this. Um, the husband of one wife 
at a time. <laughs> so, which is a good thing. Um, and uh, uh, it's in effect talking about church leadership, that the church leadership, they shouldn't be promiscuous and they shouldn't be polygamous. I mean, that's, that's what you get out of that. And, and uh, that's how they're supposed to work. Remember, they lived in cultures where it was not abnormal for uh, men to have many wives. And, uh, and mistresses and all those other things. And um, Paul's saying not in the, it's not how the church is supposed to operate. So um, he, he makes that point as being very important. Uh, it's also extremely important that people in church leadership, um, and remember I said we're all shooting for this, don't neglect their families. Um, the family of church leaders is one of their primary responsibilities. Um, I read all the time articles uh, from pastors who have been in the ministry most of their lives, and a lot of them look back um, and they they don't they with regret. Um, the thing that they they oftentimes miss is that they didn't spend time with their families, uh, and in in uh, they they look back and think that was where they made a huge mistake in their ministries. That the um, the needs of the church would overwhelm them to the point where they neglected their families and they can't go back and get that time back. Um, and so, you know, I always want to emphasize how important family is. And uh, if you're blessed to have a family, make sure that you spend time with them and you take time with them and for them and, uh, and love them and do things with them and let them know how important they are to you and uh, that this is all part of the process of being sound leaders. That um, we don't... We don't forget, you know, what matters and what's really important. The church is God's church. It's very important. But, you know, the church, because it's God's church, um, can actually, um, will continue to make it without anybody um, because God will just get other people to do what they need if you need to spend time with your family. So uh, so that's very important. With uh, both of my kids who are here tonight, we always... Um, it was our heart, Alice and our heart, to, that, that they always would know that, that they were of huge importance to us and that we would do whatever we needed to do um, at any time for them. And uh, they're both still here, so I think we did okay with that as far as they don't hate the church, which is a good thing. So, uh, yeah, good. Thank you. She just gave me a wave and a kiss, so I, you did this. Well, yeah, yeah okay. Um, Thanks, thanks for that. Fortunately, that's not on camera. Um, so, the, uh, but see, it's important. You know, God wants us to be balanced. And, and, uh, and, and so there's a lot of areas of relationship that are important. And we need to figure out how to hold things in balance in our life. And, and family needs to be balanced into all the things that we do. And, and too, too often, even in our culture, that's why it's reflected in the church. The culture gets so busy that parents get so um, consumed by, by just trying to sort of make it or get ahead or, or their own sort of stuff that they also forget their kids and don't forget your kids. And, uh, uh, you know, and it's not too late now. If they're still around, make time for your kids, even if they're whatever, grown up, whatever they are. Make sure they know that you love them, that you're always there for them. And, uh, and it's just really, really important that that happens. So Paul brings that up to the, to the church leaders because um, he, he doesn't want them to be so consumed that they neglect their families. Um, and then he talks about new believers 
And um, new believers certainly should be able to serve in ministry, but they shouldn't just be thrust into positions of leadership. Now remember, in an early church, that would be tough. Because you think about, if you have a brand new situation, and everybody's kind of brand new, um, you know, you, you almost will put anybody that's willing in leadership, but that's not the, the best qualification. Uh, and so... Um, what Paul's saying, look, I know that you, you need people to lead, but let them sort of grow into it uh, and find, them, uh, find new believers places to serve, but give them a time to mature in the faith before they start taking on positions of leadership. Um, because before that happens, there should be evidence of a solid Christian lifestyle and a, and a, and a reasonable knowledge of the Bible before um, those things begin to take place. So he talked about that. He also um, gives an admonition about um, how quickly we move into conceit and pride. Uh, on our weekend services, we're talking about the tricks of the enemy, and, um, and pride and conceit are another pair of his favorite weapons. Uh, we, we've been talking about guilt and shame right now on the weekends, but oh, he likes pride and conceit almost as much. Because uh, if you get stuck in pride and conceit, if you start thinking that things are happening because, because of you, oh, you're in trouble. Um, uh, in the church, it's always because of him. Always. Always, always, always. And, and, uh, and so um, the, the admonition is, look, be careful putting young ones in there because they'll start thinking they're doing something that God's doing and they'll get in trouble if, if that happens. Uh, in, in ministry, uh, all areas of ministry, we always need to come out of a place of humility. Um, and again, with the idea and the remembrance that we're all broken people in need of a Savior. Every single one of us. And that, that humility is key in this process. Humility keeps us dependent on God. Humility keeps us away from pride and deceit, which keeps us out of that trap. And it, uh, it just allows us... Um, humility will keep our hearts soft, which is a, a huge deal um, in, in being effective in the world. Um, it, that if we get hard-hearted, we're done. Uh, it's, it's a soft heart that has lots of room for, um, uh, for grace and for mercy and forgiveness and for second chances and third chances and do-overs. Um, that all comes from a soft heart. A hard heart will start drawing these very rigid lines that people just can't live up to and, and, uh, and then separates us from being able to do the ministry that we need to do. And then he goes on and he says uh, this, that as believers we need to do our, our best to have good reputations in the community. So that's an important thing. How the community—I talked about earlier—how the community views us, um, and and so again, I think the best way to do that um, is to be people that love well, and to be as real as we can possibly be. Uh, that that you know we, we all are going to have issues, and we're all broken, and so you know it's it's uh, we it, I, I don't think it's that we should pretend to have arrived when we haven't. I always think that the most important thing um, is to be as real as you can be with where you're at. And that you, you know, we're, we're all a mess, um, but we know Jesus. So, um, you know, we're working on it. And, and presenting that to people, uh, I think, is important. And, and for years, and it's still always on the forefront of my mind, I, I want my hope for us as a group is that when, when people think about us, they might say all sorts of things about us, but that they would overall say, well, they're, they're pretty kind. And they, they tend to love pretty well. Um, that would be my hope. Everything else is kind of up in the air. And we have good eggs. I don't know what else happens, but...
Um, it goes on and he starts to talk about deacons um, and, uh, uh, and deaconesses um, because Paul has, we've read about deaconesses in the scripture. Um, this position seems uh, in the church seems to have been established by the apostles in Acts chapter 6. Uh, I've got those verses for you, 1 through 4. They're not in your notes, but let me read them to you real quick. Uh, in those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry um, the word. So as the church was growing, um, the apostles were getting a little overwhelmed with things, and, and so there needed to be some people put into place to deal with some of the issues that were coming up. In this case, it was the distribution of food that was going on, and um, the, uh, the, 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 the Jews from uh, Greece felt like they weren't getting what they should get. And, um, and compared to the, the, the Jewish widows from the Hebrew um, part of things. And so um, the apostles get together and say, okay, let's, let's put some people in place. Fascinating, if you look at the list, uh, I love this about the apostles. They put seven guys with Greek names in charge of making sure that got straightened out. That's, that's like, okay, here's how we're going to fix that. We'll put all these, put the Greek guys in charge because they're, they're, that's where the issue was getting slighted and that will fix it. Among them was Stephen. Um, who we know was an amazing um, uh, disciple uh, in, in the early church. Um, and he taught, and he was used by God mightily, and, and uh, he was the, you know, one of the first recorded martyrs um, in Acts chapter 7, um, there when Paul was, was persecuting the church. Um, so deacon, um, in effect, what a deacon is, is one who serves. That's what it means. So you know, to me... I don't mean to take it lightly. I, some denominations uh, actually have an or, or ordained um, deacon group in their churches. Um, I, I've always felt at some level like um, because it's one who serves and then not in any way minimizing it that we all should be shooting for that level um, as people that serve. So um, that should just be where we're headed as the, you know, that, that we're always looking to be someone that serves. And um, I, I've always sort of thought of it more that way myself than anything. Again, I know that might um, be difficult for some people. And, um, but, but for me, it's like, uh, you know, as people mature and grow and serve, that, that all of them been hopefully kind of step into those roles as part of where they're headed in their lives. So, uh, so that's sort of the first 15 verses. That last verse, pretty interesting. First Timothy 3.16, I want to read it to you again. Because it's... Uh, it's kind of funny just sitting there after all these things uh, that we just talked about. It says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in the body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. And uh, so this verse is actually a short hymn in which Paul is affirming the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, um, that he's fully God and fully man. Uh, and, and in that, he's sort of uh, reminding Timothy uh, of the heart of the, of the good news of, of the gospel. Um, Jesus becoming a man, the incarnation, is the basis for our being made right with God. He had to come in order to live a perfect, sinless life. Um, 
And then uh, uh, being vindicated by the Spirit speaks of the power of the Holy Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead after he willingly gave his life there on the cross and died. He's raised from the dead and that he was seen by angels and taken to heaven is is a picture of his divinity. And so it's it's a picture, a very powerful picture at the end of this chapter of who Jesus is and why he came and what he did. And that um, as, a, as a man, fully man, fully God, Jesus, as a man he lived a perfect life and so he's a perfect example of how we're to live. He's our model for life and ministry. He's humanity as God intended it to be. As God, then Jesus gives us the power to do what is right. And you know what I like to call that? I, I call that living by doing the next right thing. So we're to look at Jesus as our model for life and ministry, and then uh, under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're, we're to live every day trying to do the next right thing and being people of integrity and understanding what that means in, in the church and in the world around us. So that's First Timothy chapter 3. We'll, uh, we'll stop there for today. If you're watching by video, thank you so much. Uh, or on television for spending time with us. We know how valuable your time is and we appreciate you checking in. If you need anything uh, like prayer, uh, please go to the website at keysvineyard.com or you can call us um, and uh, just go to the website at keysvineyard.com. The phone number will be there. Send us a prayer request. We'll be happy to pray for you and um, we will see you again soon.